Do you love watching sports highlights? Five Star, the world's first sports highlight rating app is here. Athletes and fans can share, view, and rate the best sports highlights between one and five stars. The app is comment-free and has athletes of all skill levels, even pros like Kylie O'Miller, Kyle Harrison, and the 2022 PLL MVP, Trevor Baptiste. Download Five Star Highlights to earn yours. Quintessential Lacrosse Podcast. We have a special edition this week. We're going to welcome in two members of the Inside Lacrosse crew, uh, former teammates of mine, Terry Foy and Matt Kinnear. And the reason for this discussion today is uh, Inside Lacrosse released their top 50 players, which gained a lot of traction, a lot of attention. Uh, certainly, it's a, a who's who of, of the top programs in the country. And we're going to talk about in this podcast uh, some notable snubs, some guys. You know, you look at the list and, and there's always some banter by fans, uh, you know, coaches I talk to. There's always some guys who, well, they should have been on the list. They shouldn't have been on the list. And, and we're going to go over it right now. The, the more I did it, Terry and Matt, the more I realized that there's a big population of players who could potentially be in the top 50. Let's say almost 200 of them, probably about 125. Mm-hmm. And, and I came up with a legitimate 25 that I believe could be substituted in the list and no one would blink no one would and, and so that tells me that the depth of talent right now at the division one level is about as good as it's ever been well quint it's like the uh the team usa argument right the team usa b team could on any given saturday beat the team usa a team um the numbers 25 through 50 in this top 50 list could on any given saturday be better than 25 through 50 who we featured in the in the first list Terry, uh, first of all, t- tell the fans that the process, uh, how do you guys come up with this list? Yeah, well, so this is probably five years in development or so. And originally the list was a combined list between men's and women's lacrosse players. And it was really about, uh, it, it kind of grew out of this exercise that we did, uh, whichever year Trevor Baptiste and Marie McCool were seniors, which I think was 2016 or 17, um, where we featured the top 50 player, the top player from each of the 50 states. Uh, and they were the most contentious debate at the top of that list, both being from New Jersey. And what we found was the number of men's lacrosse fans who gained a lot of knowledge about the women's lacrosse ecosystem was really valuable. So in the intervening years, we created a top 50 list that was you know, roughly split between you know, 25 of the top men's players and 20, 25 of the top women's players. And then we had a conversation this past offseason and realized that to some extent, at least, we felt like we had accomplished the goal. When you look at the amount of fanfare around women's lacrosse, certainly during the 2021 and 22 seasons, it was almost as if, you know, that exercise was no longer necessary. And we decided that we wanted to set out to do this list of of top 50 players for both the men's and women's group. And there are a couple of things that are core important distinctions. Number one, you know, we already know who the 2022 end of year All-Americans were. So it's not, the exercise is not, regurgitating that list it is to look forward at the 2023 season and obviously you know there's some degree to which we know who has improved in the offseason this year we had the added benefit of the u21 championships where a lot of guys on this list participated either for the u.s or canadian national teams or or elsewhere uh throughout the world uh but also one of the things that's most valuable about the exercise is understanding the relationship between role and production and then the relationship between production and perception and obviously depending on your position you know sometimes that's more closely correlated than others but to get down to brass tacks with this men's top 50 list 
Uh, one of the elements that's going to distinguish it from the preseason 2023 All-America list is that it is voted on exclusively by Inside Lacrosse staff members. So there were five of us, Matt and, and I were two, uh, Patrick McEwen, Ty Zanders, and Kevin Brown were the other three, who each submitted our own top 50. Uh, we each have you know five unique independent processes in order to come to that list and then you know, tabulated the uh, tabulated the poll in a very traditional way and and uh, rolled it out. Uh, I believe starting on the Friday after Thanksgiving and running for five consecutive days. You know the only the only uh, the, the value of of the exercise for me in, in digging deeper was to get away from teams that we saw most recently in May. And and the only bias that I have is the recency bias, and it's just natural because those are teams that we covered in their league championships, whether it was the Ivy League championship and then through the month of May in the NCAA championships. So we got to see a lot of Maryland. We got to see a lot of Cornell. We got to see, uh, you, you know, a lot of Princeton. And so for me, the, the value here was to go back and to dig a little deeper on teams we did not get to see in, in the month of May. Guy, guys whose seasons maybe ended in the, in, in the end of April in, in the league championship uh, portion of the schedule or maybe in that first week of the season because we really do focus in. It goes from, let's say, 40 teams vying for 16 slots. The next week it's 16 and then it's eight, obviously four and two. And so quickly it comes to an end for many players. So uh, let, let, let's start by looking at some snubs, some, some guys uh, that I came up with right away and get your opinions. I'm sure they were in the running. Uh, I'm going to start at Duke with, with a guy last year, Andrew McAdory, who as a freshman uh, set a record at Duke with 39 points. And if you watch them play, I know it was a forgetful season for the Blue Devils, but McAdory was, was really the catalyst. The ball was in his stick. He was drawing double teams. He was getting to the rack. Not sure where he'll play this year, attack or midfield. I think that's the biggest question mark for Duke, how they utilize their talent. But McAdory, to me, is is a big-time star. Yeah, I agree. He was on my list uh, as well. And, I mean, first of all, for me, I, I'm pretty confident that he's going to play attack, and that's one of the reasons that, you know, I am so high at him. I actually had him 27th uh, on my list of top 50. So, um, you know, just to give you a sense for for where that floor was at number 50 in terms of the amount of, Ballots you needed to appear on and the, the number of points you needed to accumulate in order to be in that mix. And that he's one of the guys who role and the relationship between role and production. And then again, that relationship between production and perception is it, who I'm distinctly speaking to. You know, I, I, I do think he's going to be their ex-attackman. I do think his chemistry with Brennan O'Neill is going to yield a lot of assists. And I do think that he's going to be such a tough cover. He He has a lot of the physical attributes that, I mean, you know, I, I know that this is going to sound almost blasphemous and a little bit overstating it, but but he has a combination of quickness, explosiveness, and top-end speed that is very reminiscent of Jordan Wolf. And I'm not saying that he's going to take to the position as uh, well as Jordan Wolf did. It certainly is a transition. You know, I always felt like coming out of high school, one of his best aspects was his ability to utilize that explosive acceleration and, and top end speed in between the boxes and create, you know, turn a slow break into a fast break. You can't do that if you're playing for max, but at the same time, he's going to be on the field every possession and he's going to have the ball in his stick pretty much every possession. So I, I'm very, very high on Andrew Magadori as a sophomore. Matt, Wait. I want to get your opinion on, on a guy I, I know you've seen a lot of uh, yeah. Patrick Kalniak from Navy. Dallas native last year put up, I believe 48 points for the midshipmen. This is a guy who draws poles and draws double teams. And when I turn on the tape, he makes plays every game that are just like, holy freaking crap. 
This guy mm-hmm. just ran through three people as the best athlete on the field and, and put the ball in from 10 yards. I, I think he's a big time player. You got to watch him a lot last year. What are your thoughts on Patrick Scowney at the committee from Navy? Well, I love, you know, I love Navy's whole midfield unit. You know, I think they have one of the elite top midfield units in the country. And I, you know, when you talk about recency bias, one of the things that goes into this as well is kind of who we saw in the fall, you know, who we went and saw practices for. And I got to see Navy practice in November, which maybe forged a little bit of my opinion on him, you know, just a true leader on the field. Like you said, if you get him a short stick, um, he's going to make you pay. And I think the combination of his individual skill, plus what I think is going to be a much better Navy offense, just with the youth infusion that they have is really going to kind of set him loose to have more of a breakout year than he had last year. I know he was an honorable mention All-American in our list, but I think kind of the sky's the limit given all the pieces that are around him with that really great plead class that they have at Navy. Plus, you know, the guys he's running with, when you think of a guy like Dane Swanson running alongside him um, and potentially Xavier Arline, depending on how he transitions from football to lacrosse, you know, down at attack. Um, that's going to be a scary group, I think, the Navy offense and a new offensive coordinator who's familiar with the academy and how to best make that go there as well. Scalniak is a, a Texas native. I think he's a pro prospect down, down the road. Next guy I, w- I want to bring up is, I, I know you guys like him, Jack Follows, defender from Cornell, who uh, missed a lot of time early last year with the wrist injury. His insertion into the lineup allowed Gavin Adler maybe to have a little more freedom, but uh, it, it really correlates to Cornell's success late in the season. Uh, you know, the, the loss to Aiden Blake, I know at the midfield was a little setback for Cornell. But if you, if you track follows, he's the guy that made that team better, I believe, in May than they were early in the season. He's a Canadian. He got high praise uh, from their coaching staff when we were following, tracking them through the NCAA tournament. And I, I think the kid is, is a left-handed stopper and could be in the top uh, top six defenders in the country. I, uh, you're right. I, he was a guy who I was waiting to see him get his opportunity over the course of the season. I would actually put him in a similar category as Andrew Dalton. Um, and I think, you know, he obviously follows, became a starter, Dalton, you know, was kind of a rotation D-Mitty. Um, but then by virtue of their injuries and, and felt like that was going to be something that created an opportunity. You know, certainly it, one of the things about this conversation that's always difficult is a, the, the functional outcome of, I can like a player, but if I think he's 51st, that's not a criticism of how good he is. It just means he wasn't good enough to be a top 50 player and get a vote. You know, Jack Fowles isn't somebody who candidly was on my list of top 105 players. Um, you know, and, and again, I, I think it's it, it, I can say with full certainty he is not going to be their number one defender. So he's not going to guard opponents' best players. We had a lot of conversations throughout the year last year in terms of how to regard Gavin Adler's role in production because relative to some of the other guys that were in contention for the Schmeichel Award, you know, he was very much, in, in, in some people's opinion, put on an island and asked to only stop the opponent's best player, which in and of itself is a difficult task. But does it lead to winning the same way, you know, somebody who's a little bit more incorporated into the defense, like a Will Bowen, might, even if there are more instances of Will Bowen getting run past and scored on. With respect to follows, the thing I like about him the most is his ability to be a cleanup guy. I mean, you know, there's a stereotype that goes with this, but Canadian players and their ability to pick up ground balls by virtue of their box experience and how frequently they're picking up ground balls. And then oftentimes their hockey experience and how good their stick is when it's on the ground below their waist goes a long way as well. So I'm excited about follows as a full-time starter. Um, You know, he got an opportunity due to injury uh, around mid-year. I think it was around the Princeton game that they had to 
said two of their starters or, or maybe uh, Ian Jacobs got hurt in the beginning of the game, uh, if memory serves. But, uh, but yeah, it came on strong down the stretch and, and certainly is a player to watch heading into this year. Yeah, yeah Quinn, that's, that's, that's a guy I should have had on my list because I was at that Princeton game that Terry's mentioning right now. Um, and that was the game, if I remember correctly, that Adler had a million cost turnovers and Follows was just the guy that was there all the time with the ball, getting it upfield. And, um, you know, I think he was a relatively unknown quantity at that point and had a breakout game. So I would say that's that's in the category of miss, but it's, you know, it's um, how do we regard the guy who's not the top defender and what is the natural inclination to just focus on the number one defender on, on the top teams in the country? Yeah, I, I love guys who can scoop the ball, especially around the goal to end possessions. Fed up with the same old generic lacrosse clothing? Check out Hobo Lights, the new up-and-coming lacrosse streetwear company, making even the dustiest of players look drippier than a chocolate sundae. Visit www.hobolax.com and use code QUINT to get 50% off your first purchase. That's hobolax, H-O-B-O-L-A-X.com and the code QUINT, Q-U-I-N-T, all caps, for 15% off your first purchase. Uh, the, the next guy I'm going to bring up is, is a tough read. And based on his production last year, he does not deserve to be on, on, the, on the list of top 50. Let's be honest. But based on his production two years ago when he was a freshman, Dylan Hess at Georgetown has got to be somewhere on the radar as maybe a bounce back candidate this year. Uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see, how again, how he's utilized. He needs to play on the wings of faceoffs. He needs to play more defense to unleash his transitional uh, ability because I, I believe he's one of the better athletes in Division One lacrosse. And and they just got to let him play and get him on the field and and stop treating him as as if he's a six on six offensive midfielder. And anyone have some strong thoughts on Dylan Hess, uh, Georgetown midfielder? I mean, he was one of my favorite players coming out of his freshman season. And I think he was like number 19 on this list heading into his sophomore year. Talking with a bunch of folks around the Georgetown program, I think that it's the type of, you know, his his comparative lack of impact was shared by the staff and by him in terms of, I think there was a reluctance to fully unleash him early in the season for fear that he was going to wear down for their most important games. So there was an effort to try to preserve him physically. And then separately, I think that there was so much belief in their ability to produce in settled offenses that it really created some disincentive around running in transition. I think this is something that you saw Loyola struggle with in the Pat Spencer era right? They had won a national championship as one of the teams that took advantage of transition opportunities more than any other team. Matt Juan, you know, that's his kind of DNA and lifeblood. But then they got to this point where it was like every transition shot that either gets saved or gets backed up by the opponent is a possession that doesn't end up with the ball in Pat Spencer's stick. And you know, they didn't have a Pat Spencer, but at the same time, you want to make sure that Graham Bundy, Dylan Watson, TJ Haley, all these guys are getting their looks. And so I think those two factors plus, you know, Dylan has missed the first, he missed a, a good portion of uh, January if uh, memory serves correctly with a hamstring issue. And I do think that that lingered throughout the first half of the season as well. So, you know, is he primed for a bounce back year? The short answer is I don't know, because a lot of the things that made that offense what it was last year return in addition to, you know, the guy who I think is the most interesting inclusion on the list 
which is Brian Minicus, who, if he was still at Colgate, probably wouldn't have been on the list. But by virtue of the impact that he's potentially going to make at Georgetown, you know, is being talked about by folks that know his game and imagine what he's going to look like with the Hoyas and also saw them in the fall. They're talking about this kid like he's a team or All-American. Yeah, you know, I had Jack Rowlett on this podcast earlier this summer. We were talking PLL, and Jack is a volunteer assistant coach at Georgetown. And and part of his training is he does one-on-ones with guys on the team. And he said that Minicus is as quick as a Grant Amon or or as quick as a Michael Sowers. And and that's how much respect that Jack Rowlett, the pro, had for the transfer Minicus. I want to ask you guys about Shane Knobloch because uh, his uh, – his not being on the top 50, I know, garnered a lot of attention. Here's a guy that led Rutgers to championship weekend. He played last summer for Team USA. I know he had that, that injury late in the season, but he's been a consistent performer for two years. I think he's above 30 points as a freshman, then as a sophomore for the Scarlet Knights. Every time I see him, he seems to get better. He gets to the rack and scores goals. Uh, what's the deal with Knobloch, Shane Knobloch, being, being left off the, the list? Quinn, I was hoping you're going to bring him up because this this is the biggest snub on the list. Um, this this is the one that I, I think you could definitely categorize as a just flat out miss on this list. Um, you know, I saw Rutgers in practice this fall, and Knobloch was every every much as good as every bit as good as you would expect. You know, his progression is still there. Um, he, we saw him play in Ireland this summer, and like you said, led Rutgers to championship weekend. You know, took Rutgers to new heights as part of that offense. And um, yeah, I, I just think this is flat out, you know, the biggest miss on, on this list right here. And I don't think there's any way to get around that. Yeah, I was really impressed with his improvement last year and his dodging games, shooting uh, different release points. That sidearm shot he's developed on the run is pretty vicious. Uh, he's a good, good player, getting, getting better. He's strong. He's fast. Next guy I want to bring up, uh, I don't know much about, Mason Woodward. But everyone I asked from the Big East points to Mason Woodward, a defender from Marquette, as being one of the best players in the league. What do you guys got on Woodward? I really like him coming out of high school. Uh, you know, got an opportunity to see him play a lot at St. Paul's and think that he continued a lot of that progress uh, with Marquette. I think that there's a function of team success that plays a role in the way how players like this are regarded. And I think that, you know, it's fair for a player like that to kind of be put into a little bit of a prove-it category. That being said, understandably, there's only so much one player can do to affect his team's, you know, overall success on the field. So you don't want to punish a guy. You know, it's kind of harkens back to the Minicus comment. You don't want to punish a guy for, for that. But you also have to understand that, you know, maybe the fourth best player on a team that, you know, is a Final Four Elite Eight team is going to garner more recognition than the best player on a team that isn't in the playoff conversation. So, you know, as a player, uh, he's got all the physical tools. Uh, he certainly is modern in that way that he produces statistically uh, in a way that reflects what you want to see. If memory serves, he, he's averaging right around two cause turnovers a game. Um, you know, and, and to your point earlier, Quinn, he's the type of player who ends possessions. Super valuable, and I think that by virtue of all of that, uh, as well as the fact that you've seen, you know, Marquette pedigree defensemen produce at the professional level, uh, either from finishing there, uh, like BJ Grill and and uh, and uh, Jake Richard, who you know both have, have spent time on staff, uh, or transferring away, uh, and then you know 
winning uh, or, or you know, losing a national championship game like Nick Grill, uh, there's certainly a lot of reasons for optimism in terms of what we're, what Woodward uh, has potential-wise at the next level. And certainly in the meantime, you know, if, if Marquette can garner a couple wins, he's the type of player who's going to get serious All-American consideration at the end of the year. The cool part of, of this uh, ex- this exercise, as we said, was was digging deep. And, and the more I dug, I realized that Ohio State's defense this year could be really strong. They have some uh, shorties coming back who are outstanding. And they got two guys down low, potentially. I want to get your opinion on Bobby Van Buren, who's now a sophomore, homeschooled out of Charlotte. He was a top recruit. Love his footwork, love his hips, his speed. And then Marcus Hudgens, the, the transfer from Army. And there, there's some there's just some noise about his, uh, his eligibility. What, what do we know about Van Buren and what, what trajectory do you guys think he's on? And then what do we know about Marcus, the, the, the transfer from army? Yeah. Van Buren's excellent. And um, I saw Ohio state this fall against Princeton and, you know, their def- first of all, Ohio state, I think is a team that has potential to be in that, I don't know, top five or six in the country. If, if they're kind of at full speed and all of the pieces like you referenced, Quint, are there. Bobby Van Buren, um, he's like kind of got like this, at the same time, he's chaotic, but at the same time, he's a steadying force, if that makes any sense on the defensive end. He can be disruptive, but he just always feels in control when he was out there. I saw him against Princeton in the fall and, you know, that's an elite team. And, you know, he held his own against those guys and uh, with Hudgens, you know, from my understanding, you know, he obviously did not play in games this fall. You know, he's been with the team and, you know, it's it's a matter of, um, you know, whether he is going to be allowed to play for Ohio State in the spring via an NCAA waiver. So because of his transfer from Army and the rules surrounding that. So, you know, there's a lot of ambiguity in terms of his status going into the spring. So that's why I did not personally include him in my list is because I just feel like um, there's too much, like you said, noise and too much concern that he, you know, won't be suited up in the scarlet and red this year, that scarlet and gray that, um, you know, I didn't want to put him in there with the risk that he's just not going to be playing and take someone else's spot in this list. Defender I like a lot out of the ACC, and it's a guy who's logged a lot of miles on TV, played in big games. Just a member of the Team USA last year uh, and was a guest on my podcast last summer. Kid is uh, straightforward, solid as a rock. I really enjoyed speaking with him as Kenny Brower. Uh, you know, I go back a couple years, and, and he got smoked on a, uh, on a one-on-one that went viral. And I almost think that that highlight went when I think it was Schellenberger. I think that that viral highlight has really been held against Kenny since then, because you think about who he has covered last year, he covered Sam Handley early in the year when Handley was playing attack, Asher Nolting, Schellenberger, Chris Gray twice, Patrick Cavanaugh twice, Tucker Dordovic up at Cuse, Dalton Young of Richmond and Aiden Olmstead of Loyola. Like Kenny Brower is PLL pro ready and he can play for me any day of the week why is he not getting the respect? Is it because of his style? Is it because of Duke's lack of success last season? What are you guys' opinions on Kenny Brower? So I think that when it comes to, well, the, the short answer to the question, I believe, is Duke's lack of success. Um, you know, I think that he's probably the next in line behind Kate Van Rapport and GT Giles Harris in terms of their, you know, elite lockdown number one defenders. And obviously, as you mentioned, He's garnered a lot of respect by virtue of making the U19 team and, and you know, certainly 
staying on it and being a part of it uh, for the team that played in Limerick this past summer. Yeah, I think that uh, he Duke's defense finished the regular season number fifteen in defensive efficiency, which kind of puts him on the borderline uh, for you know multiple players being in consideration for that type of recognition. Um, you know, and the other side of this coin is is you know in order to create a top 50, you're basically putting together your four preseason All-American teams in terms of, you know, position breakdowns and everything that goes along those lines. So the question that I would ask is, is he the top 12 defender, both by virtue of production and in terms of team success? And, you know, I think for me, he's, he's kind of right there on the borderline. So uh, I, I think he has the potential to have an excellent season. Uh, but at the same time, coming away from last year, I don't think he was a, a no-brainer shoo-in. Midfielder from Yale who had a big freshman season is Brad Sharp. Uh, 19 goals, 17 assists, I believe, as a freshman. And we and historically, we know midfielders, when you're a freshman, if you get any kind of production, you, you generally, that's a great sign. Uh, you know, I think about a guy like Will Angrick from Notre Dame who last year maybe had around eight or ten goals. He's going to be on their first midfield this year. I, I like him. Like, if he were a stock right now, I'd be buying Will Angrick. Brad Sharp's a little more of a, of a known quantity. Uh, Andy Shea talks really brilliantly about his speed, about his dodging. Uh, I, I think Sharp is going to be an all-Ivy performer, and I would potentially have him on this list. Uh, any opinions from you guys? Did anyone see Yale this, this fall or, or talk to Coach Shea about uh, Brad Sharp? Terry, this is your guy here, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, he's the evolutionary Brian Teblin, uh, you know, the type of player who makes clutch plays, uh, whether it's, you know, at the defensive end of the field or the offensive end of the field. He was number 51 on my list, um, you know, and, and I would group him with Chris Lyons, who, you know, started, uh, I believe, like three or four games into the season and was really involved in the transformation of Yale's offense. I mean, ultimately, I had four Bulldogs on my list and two others in Teblin and Chris Fake who transferred to Notre Dame, uh, who were uh on it as well so it got to a point where it was like you know this was a quarterfinal team that you know is really talented but had also i believe lost either five or six games on the year how many guys can you actually include uh and certainly when you look at matt brandow leo johnson uh jack Stusen, and jared paquette uh who you know Paquette was probably the most questionable inclusion but for me uh when you look at his best games and the opponents and the types of defense that was being played in front of him. I thought that, you know, he was, he was for me, the, the, the fourth or fifth best returning goalie coming away from last season. Um, you know, it was just one of those things where I couldn't find a spot for another Yale guy uh, on my list. We can talk goalies if you guys want, uh, I, you know, Matt Nunes is, is, he's a difficult read. I can't really argue that he's not a top 50 player going into the year, but at the end of the year, he might be the national goalie of the year. Uh, yeah, I just think he's a next-level athlete. I think we saw some ups and downs with, with his play last season. I think Virginia's defensive midfield play was subpar, and, man, that, that puts a lot of pressure on a close defense, which in turn puts a lot of pressure on a, on a goalie. And under the tutelage of Kip Turner, I expect Mac Noons to have a big year. Uh, I, I, I think he's a special player. Some other goalies, uh, Matt Note of UMass caught my eye. I don't know what to make of Danny Brady from Wagner. Uh Colin Krieg of, of Carolina, to me, he needs to sue that defense for a lack of support because he was under <laughs> constant pressure last year and put up pretty good numbers. And he was, he was honestly getting barraged. Uh, 
you guys have Liam Entman on the list, but but those are a couple other goalies uh, who who stood out in in my initial research. Any any thoughts in that position? Well, Quint, can I turn the question around to you? And yeah, hold is- on. Matt, three additional guys who didn't get brought up that I think need to be on the radar as well. So you've got Danny Hanks from Dartmouth, who's now in line to start at Georgetown. You've yeah, got Danny, yeah. uh, you've got uh, Kyle Mullen from Harvard, who is in the mix to start at Rutgers, and then you've got Will Mark from LIU, who was one of the most productive goalies in the entire country, who is, I believe, a, a mid-year eligibility guy at Syracuse. So you know, where do those three guys fit into the conversation as well? I got Hanks on my list somewhere, but I got eight pages of guys. I honestly have, <laughs> I have, I printed this out of eight pages of guys and I can't find Hanks. You know, I talked to David Trauber. Here he is tall righty. Okay. Hey, you know, Hanks, I didn't get to see much of him at Dartmouth, but, you, but a couple of times I did see him. He was 52% at Dartmouth. Okay. I don't think they've won a league game in, in, in quite a while. I, he could easily add five to 10% to that. When you think about what Georgetown goalies have done, in the last decade, David Trivers, their goalie coach. I know him well, but Kevin Warren, the way their defense slides, they just, they protect the paint and they make their goalies jobs easier. Hinks fills it up. He's a tall righty. Uh, there, there's no reason to believe that, that he won't be in the top five goalies uh, in, in the country for sure. Who's the other guys you mentioned? Mullen. And Kyle Mullen at Rutgers. Yeah. Yeah. The starting uh, goalie at Rutgers. Yeah, Mullen and, and Garber was the other one. Will Mark. Are you? Will, Mark's gonna be, Will Mark's going to be at Syracuse. He did not play this fall. Oh, yeah. I know nothing about him other than that article that you guys you guys wrote. Uh, you know, it's going to be hard to, to live in, in, the, uh, in the footsteps of, of Kirst at Rutgers. Uh, but you're certainly going to see a lot of shots. And, and you need to have the mentality. Rutgers gives up shots, you know, and that, that's part of what they do with the way they play that man-to-man defense. And so it's a fun style to play as a goalie because, you know, you're not going to be bored. Uh, and so it'll be interesting. I, 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 He had moments at Harvard last year. I remember watching them at home on that game that they, 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 uh, they showed on TV with the sky cam. And, and uh, I was impressed. He's, he, he stood out to me more visually as, as being a guy who's solid and not flashy. Quint, my question was going to be to you is um, kind of looking at the other end of the list. Is, is Liam Mentiman the number one on your list? I, yeah, I think going into the season, based on what he did last summer for Team USA, I thought he started last season slow. I had high, high expectations for him. And those first couple of games, he just wasn't on. And then somewhere in the middle of the year, he really locked in. His issue in the past has been when you get him moving. You know, he loses his, his, his integrity when you get him moving pipe to pipe. When he sees a shot and he's locked in, he's outstanding. He's really smooth. He's quick. He fills up the net. I, I love everything about him. His game out of the goal has gotten better. And I, I think he's ready to be the guy now nationally. Uh, he's just got to, he's got to win some of those close big games. I mean, that that's what it, the goalie position, much like the quarterback position. Again, your, your, your success individually is, is really tied into your team success. A couple well, guys, Matt, one loss in his career. Yeah. Again, like, <laughs> You know, and we'll see what that looks like this year. Uh, Talking about Notre Dame, bring up. Hold on, let me yeah, let me bring up. Let me yeah, let me bring up one guy uh, who can't go unmentioned, which is Will Lynch, uh, the faceoff guy for Notre Dame. I mean, when you think about, I, I have spent seven months talking to people who coached against Luke Weirman, asking wh- why was Luke Weirman so much better in 2022 than he was in 21, and I'm not exaggerating. 
no one knows. No one can give you a, he was this much better at this than he was the year before type of answer. And it's crazy. But the reason I bring it up in the context of Will Lynch is because when you think about how much got better he got from his you know first two or three games going against uh, Weirman and James Riley and some of the other guys that Notre Dame played early to how well he was playing at the end of the season, if that rate of improvement continues during the offseason, he's poised to have a Luke Weirman type of breakout for the Fighting Irish this season. You want to talk Fogos? We can talk some Fogos. You know, I, I don't, I don't love the position. Uh, a couple guys I had on the list: Tommy Burke from Vermont, sixty-one percent last year. Uh, Stathakis from Denver, got to get some consideration. His numbers seem to drop a tad. Caleb Hammett from UMass, sixty-two percent as as well. Uh, anyone else off the radar that you guys like at the at the faceoff position? Okay, so we'll move on. <laughs> well, no, I mean, isn't it? It just it it feels like those top four guys, top four or so guys, are just so much the guys. You know, when when you talk about Sisselberger, you talk about Cole, Basala, and then um, and Weirman, who we already mentioned. Um, do, does it feel like those guys are head and shoulders the best faceoff guys in the country? Dalton Young, Richmond Attack, big points, successful team. What do you do with Dalton Young? Roll, both in terms of how much the ball's in his stick and in terms of his vocal leadership. Got an opportunity to see Richmond scrimmage uh, against Lehigh and Penn State, yes, in the fall. And uh, talked a fair amount to Dan Shamati about that exact question. You know, I do think that it's not going to be a one-for-one -one transition from – Ryan Lanchberry to Dalton Young because of the arrival of Aiden O'Neill, a freshman who I think is going to start out of the box. And, and when I saw them, I thought, you know, that guy has a ball in his stick and he's not afraid, uh, at least by freshman standards in the fall. Um, and then, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do with their, uh, is, I always forget which Madonna was at, was at Hobart last year and transferred to Mitch, uh, transferred to Richmond, but you know, whether he plays midfield or attack is also going to have an effect on the role that Young fills. So, you know, Ryan Lanchbury would have been on this list, uh, this top 50 players list heading into the 2022 season. So if Young steps in and has uh, an equivalent level of production, then certainly, you know, he will have been a snub. But at this point, there are too many questions about what type of role he's going to fill in order to think that that's, you know, exactly the case. And and along those lines, I would say the same thing about Jack, Jack Van Overbeek at high point. He was the ex-attackman for the Panthers, and if he meets, you know, 80% of Asher Nolting's production, you know, he'll be a top 50 player, uh, even when you consider Braden Maia and the role that he fills from a goal-scoring standpoint and from a writing standpoint. Uh, Van Overbeek is a much different player from Asher Nolting, uh, but at the same time, you know, poised to really put up some significant numbers. May is an interesting story because initially you'd say, well, no Asher Nolting, May is production will drop down, but this kid's going to be a high pick in the NLL draft. He's great at rebounds. He's great at ride backs. His dodging is a little better than people realize. So he's, he's a player worth watching. Uh, we, we put, um, we put a survey out to all the coaches that um, yeah. I'm just getting the results back now. Coach John Torpy calls Braden Maia the best all around attackman in division one lacrosse. So let that sink in for a minute. You guys did a nice job in terms of the IL 50 snubs clickbait category by leaving Johns Hopkins players off the list. So uh, well done there. 
Uh, you, you, uh, you, you, you baited him into a lot of hatred. Uh, Alex Mazzoni, Scott, Scott Smith, uh, Scott Smith. I think Scott Smith is a really good player. Scott Smith defensively, I, I think is a very, very good player. He just happens to play for a team that's struggling through a, a rough stage in terms of three year success. If, if Smith played for a contending team, I, I believe he'd be back on your list. Uh, the other guys would be Jacob Angelus, Garrett Degnan. Fear, you know, he's a, he's a really good lefty shooter. He's improved his mobility. Uh, he, he's become more of a playmaker with his feet on the move. Terry, I know you like his, his step-down ability from the wing. Uh, why'd you guys leave Johns Hopkins off the top 50 list? And, and throw in the fact Hopkins has nobody in consideration right now for Team USA and in the seniors. And nobody on the top 50 list. Like, who would have thought that that's possible? This, we're living in a parallel universe. <laughs> there are actually six. You, you, you left two off that I think also deserve a little bit of consideration. It's Matt Naruski, who, you know, if he were the only faceoff guy uh, and didn't have the injury issues, he probably would have at least been in that top six, seven, you know, eight faceoff specialists. But, you know, Hopkins has the, the good fortune of, of having a three-man rotation uh, that they can rely on, especially since Naruski has struggled with knee injuries. And then Russell Melendez, the Marquette transfer, who I think is going to be their most important offensive piece, because I do think he's the type of athlete that can dodge number one poles in the Big Ten. And the effect of the cascading effect of that means that Jake Evangelis is being guarded by number twos and Garrett Dagnon is either being guarded by long stick middies or number threes, you know, it creates a really significant effect, knock on effect for what they can do offensively. And at the other end of the field, I mean, the simple fact is that whichever of those two guys between Smith and Mazzone plays LSM, it's probably going to put up top 50 level player stats. And the one that plays down low probably isn't. And I don't think they know who that's going to be. So, you know, if, if that's an oversimplification of the, of the choice, then so be it. But, you know, I would just say like, I like Ben Ware better than both those guys. And he wasn't on the list either. So Harvard had a young team last year, Sam King, Miles Bodkiss. Penn's got some guys on your list, but there's a, there's a handful of others who could have monster seasons. Gabe Fury is a guy who caught my eye last year. I love James Shipley. You think about Cam Rubin, their lefty attackman, he may have 40 goals. Uh, and, and, and that's not even to mention Ben Smith, who is going to be a star, I believe, at that uh, right-handed position. Uh, I want to finish off with, with a couple guys, though, that we, we haven't mentioned, uh, Trevor Yeboah, Cody Brown shorty. If there's ever a, a body type athletic skill set, style fit for pro lacrosse, I think it is his, uh, wh where, where do you guys slot him in? Is, is he on the radar? Yeah, I think he, I mean, I think he is for sure, but you know, when, when you kind of compare him to, you know, other short stick D middies, you know, where does he fall in, in the pecking order there? Um, you know, when you got like a Peyton Rizanka and you've got Connor Mara, you've got, you know, some some good guys in front of him. So it kind of gets to a point, I think, with him of like, you know, is he the third or fourth best in the country? And does that make him a top 50 player? I think it makes him fringe. Um, Brown, though, is definitely the team that I don't know. I think if you're looking at a team that should have had someone on this list, it's probably the Brown Bears, whether it's him or, um, you know, I'm trying to go through who, who's kind of in their like returning yeah. list. Um, you know, they, they are a team that I don't know, for whatever reason was just underappreciated among all the Ivy league guys. I think that's fair to say. 
Delaware Robinson, Kurtz. You could have their whole back on the list if you really wanted to. Uh, that entire group is back. I'm going to finish off by listing some guys. You guys jump in. Uh, Josh Zawada, Dylan Watson now transferring to Jacksonville, Chris Cavanaugh, Michael Alexander, Yale defense. I had uh, Eric Dobson as, as a potential on the list and TJ Haley, the, the great passer from, from Georgetown and uh, Mazone from, from Hopkins, the LSM. And I finish up with, uh, you know, an Ari Allen from Ohio State. You know, who knows what this year is going to look like for him uh, in, in terms of his progress going forward. A any others that you guys want to bring to the table here as we close things out? I had Watson and Dobson light, late on my list there, um, you know, in, in the kind of 45 to 50 range there. Um, Ohio State's a good one. And, and Quint, you know, I mentioned this before, but I'm really high on Ohio State. You got to consider a guy like Richie Lacalandra as well who, you know, I don't think he's there, but he's a guy who has potential to play himself into that kind of top 50 consideration. Um, you mentioned Sam King from Harvard is another guy who I think is going to have, you know, who probably should be in consideration. I had him kind of in that 60 region. Um, Vince Dalto at BU, I'm not sure if he actually made the list or uh, was kind of on the fringe there. And then um, who else here? Ethan Rawl, did Ethan Rawl make the list? Ethan Rawl is on your list. Yeah, he did make the list. Okay. Um, I know I was higher on him than, than many others. I had him at 39 and I think most of the other voters had him um, a little bit um, or he finished at 39 and I, I had him in the low thirties. So I was a little bit higher on him than, than some of the others on this list. Yeah. I mean, so, so yeah, just to, to step back a little bit, I mean, just to, to address Brown, like they, they were the prototypical team for me that the players that I liked most for them last year were seniors and are graduated. And so as a result, you know, it's not just uh TYK who is awesome, but also Connor Terrio and Devin McLean, you know, for me, you got to make the decision if they meet the success that they created or the standard that created for themselves last year, which is realistic, but will require the contribution of a bunch of guys that didn't contribute very much last year, then it's likely that those will be the three guys who, you know, sop up a lot of the attention and, and, you know, will have done very well for themselves. Um, but, you know, to, to kind of sweep through a couple of your points, like, you know, I'll just add a few guys uh, that I voted for that didn't, uh, at least as far as I can remember, uh, make the final list. Um, so BJ Ferrer, LSM from Penn, uh, is a guy who I would I would shout out. Uh, along those lines, you already mentioned Piper you Bond. Mean, yeah, uh, Ferrer's on your top list. And Tyler Carpenter oh, from bad. Duke. Tyler Carpenter from Duke was not on on your list. Matt was uh, Bo, Matt was Wright. Bo Patterson. Matt, yes, he was. Uh, Matt okay. Wright from North Carolina, who I love. Team Canada poll for for Carolina. That had some injuries. Dewey Egan, Dewey Egan is a is an attackman for Carolina. That yeah, oh. I, I, I'd, I'd lean more towards Lance Tillman at this stage in, until we see what we get from from Egan. You know, from what Carter I saw Pate, from from what I saw from the the Harvard scrimmage in the fall, that's not an unreasonable take, but it wouldn't play out that way. Yeah, I, I mean, again, I got eight pages of guys. Dyson Williams. Yeah. You know, I I think Dyson Williams. It's just unfortunate his skill set mirrors Brennan O'Neill's because I think Dyson Williams is about as close to Zach Greer clone style-wise as you get. And, and Dyson Williams, it wouldn't surprise me if he played in the NLL for a decade or, or if he made a, a PLL roster as a lefty finisher. I just don't think he's been well slotted. Uh, one week it's attack, one week it's midfield. Uh, what are we going to get from Evan Zinn this year? If Evan Zinn figures out how to play defense in that Virginia system, 
he's back again. Okay, this is a guy that graduated Hopkins in like some uh, amazing time, half half as long as it took for me to graduate, that's for sure. And so he has another year. Evan Zinn is back at Virginia. Uh, we mentioned Maia. I like so Elijah. Thomas McConvey. McConvey, exactly. Elijah Gash is going to be moving to to LSM for Albany. I'll be interested to see what that looks like because he he's a he's a super athlete. Then you got you got guys who scored at like a million points. Brandon Dodd from Air Force. You got David Klosterman from Vermont. You, you got you got you know certain guys. Uh, Ryan Bell from Providence, but great passing. It's just a fascinating study. I, I found the more research I did here, we, we could spend all day on it. Jack McKenna, okay. Jack McKenna was a freshman, I believe, who scored 43 goals for Fairfield. I've never heard of it. And that brings up the, what my next week's article is going to be. Who's the best player we've never heard of? Oh. And you guys can't steal that. You guys cannot steal that. <laughs> you have to let, let me do it first. And then you can well, come in. But who who's the best player that we totally don't even know about right now? Whether it's whether it's a Canadian, whether it's somebody who kicked around MCLA, whether it's somebody who went unrecruited, whether it's a position change. But in a couple months, we'll say, "Wow, who is this guy? Where did he come from?" I, I, I want to look into that now. So that's that's our that's our assignment going forward. But I appreciate the time today, guys. We could talk about this honestly for a whole day. I mean, there's so yeah. many guys. Uh, and, and it's really a good exercise. If you're a fan out there and you have some time this holiday season, um, open up your uh, your face off your book and, and, and take a look at uh, some players you think got snubbed. God, Quentin, as you're talking about this, there's like four more defensemen that are just like coming to my mind. You know what I mean? Um, it, it is crazy how many. Oh, yeah. No, again, we didn't mention we didn't mention Jack Trainer, uh, attack mini from Penn State. Yeah, we didn't. Him. Yeah, like we, we did. Good we mind. didn't mention. Uh, Jack Pisano, the, the, the Albany's LSM, you know, it seems like that we're living in an age where these LSMs are great off the ground. They like throwing checks, they run the field. And as Terry would say, uh, they do everything but play defense, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what I would G say. Gentlemen, thank you. It's the inside, <laughs> it's the inside lacrosse top 50, uh, followed up this week by my notable snubs. And then next week, I'm going to give you the bigger list. Of, of guys who are in the running to be top 50 players by the end of the season. So thank you guys. Continued uh, success. Uh, appreciate the uh, conversation today and good, good seeing you guys. You look good. Thanks, Quentin. You too. Thanks, Quentin. You too.